Will you help me welcome Josh and Katie Hamilton? <clears throat> One more time. Thank you for coming here. Hey, I'm I'm a little disappointed because I I thought Bill Brown was doing the interview. Sorry, no, it's me. No, sorry. Hey, it's okay. We'll get through it. <laughs> You'll be all right. I, uh, I just want you all to understand how much great mojo I have brought to the Texas Rangers by doing this. Mm. Hey, and what I tell you? He said he's surprised the jersey didn't set on fire. <laughs> Whatever, man. Um, we, uh, we have been having so much fun. Thank you for getting through the parking lot and all the goofy stuff. And shout out to those of you who are in the underground. Everybody stomp right now so the underground can hear you. Shout out to you in the underground. We love you down there. Uh, internet, everybody, wherever you're listening, uh, we're really glad to have you here. Just, uh, just so you know, when you leave here, I know some of you are going to be like, well, can I meet him? Can I, can I, you know, no. Okay. You can't get anything signed. It's not because he's a jerk. As a matter of fact, we were just talking about how the nicest people you could ever have in to speak. I mean, they have been phenomenal, not prima donnas at all. Um, I'm the jerk, okay? Um, because we needed to transition this space so fast in between. We knew if he was signing books or whatever um, that it would, just, it would just clog everything up worse than it already was. Last night, there was a line of cars all the way to LaGrange. I mean, you came out of Texas Roadhouse and you were in, in a parking line for what was going on. So we knew this was going to happen. So you're not going to get a chance. And they've they got to get back to Dallas and get going. Um, I wish that we had a chance for, you, for, for him to sign books. And I really want to say before we get going... I hadn't read the book until just this last week. I finally got around to reading the book. I know sometimes you're like a sports person book. It's like, you know, how inter- the story is phenomenal. And the backstory is phenomenal. And it's written really well. So I really want to encourage you to go get Beyond. It's called Beyond Belief, the story, Josh Hamilton's story. It only takes you up till 2009, I think, at that point. So you don't even get the whole rest of this thing. And it is an amazing rest of this thing. Um, let me go back and do the backstory. Growing up. As a, a star to be born. Tell me about your parents. I mean, that, that's just a cool story. My, my parents. I like the way you describe my parents. Well, I'll, I'll describe them. Y'all listen to this. Um, his dad was a sports star. His dad had a bench press record at the local YMCA of 540 pounds at age 19. That's his dad. Okay. I couldn't bench press 500 until like 25. So, you know. <laughs> I was I was personally impressed when I read that, and I, I could I could tell you know when I shook Pastor's hand that you know he really benched a lot. Yeah, he he knows. He's, he's. And uh, and uh, and his mom, his dad. I mean, in the, in the book, it's great the way they recount it because his dad was at playing softball and he saw this girl hit this ball over the fence like over and over and over again, and that's why he fell in love with her. I mean, instantly. I, I'm sure she's beautiful. I've never met her, but he was like, "Wow, that girl can hit a ball. I love that woman." And yeah. uh, and they fell in love. And their their second date, they went they went to the YMCA in downtown Raleigh. For their second date to, to work out. And uh, my mom, she was, everybody knows what a leg press is. You sit down and you, you know, you do this. Well, my dad started putting 45s on each side and until the point where he got up to 999 pounds. And she was leg pressing that. And, uh, that is insane. It is insane. It is insane. I could only leg press maybe like 80. A, a thousand That's pounds. because you weigh like 80. <laughs> I know. I mean, I just 
thinking about that. Like, that is no joke. That's serious strength. Yeah, but, but it, it, it was awesome. It was awesome to know, you know, that they loved sports and their passion for sports. Uh, and that's, you know, my older brother, um, four years older than me. Um, I mean, he told it so good. Great, great athlete. Well, you gave me a hard time last time because I did all the talking. That's he was a, a lot of coffee. Right? I know, man. You I'm gotta get this, I had to get it done to get these people out of here. <laughs> this service, we're okay. We're taking time. We, um, we, uh, your older brother's four years older. Fascinating part in, of, the, of that story is he was playing. His older brother was on a fourth and fifth grade baseball team, and they let Josh, as a first grader, play on the team. I mean, not just play, not work out with him, play on the team. He was better than a lot of fourth and fifth graders. So he was always following his brother around. He was bred, you know, by these very athletic parents. And he was a star probably from, from the get-go, from day one. They always would put him up several leagues because literally the parents of the, of the kids his age were afraid that if, if he threw the ball at their kid, he might hurt them. I mean, that's the kind of arm he had. And, and you got to understand, in high school, he could throw a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. He's not a pitcher anymore. He could have been drafted as a pitcher or as a fielder, a guy who wanted to play every day, and he decided he wanted to play every day. That's the backstory. okay? Katie and Josh went to high school together. Katie did not like Josh in high school. Tell him that story. He didn't like me either. They didn't like each other. (laughs) No, Josh was just known as the very, very, very good boy. Um, which is great. I mean, he, and, and I will say everybody had a lot of respect for him. He was mm-hmm. very, very vocal about his thoughts on alcohol and, you know, drugs, didn't smoke, didn't drink, didn't go to parties, didn't go to prom. Um, and everybody did have a lot of Not respect for him. Not because I couldn't get a date. Yeah, he, no. he, he always has to say there that, were, doesn't he? There were women lined up. I just, I was not one of them, unfortunately, because <laughs> I was in my own world. And he was very focused on baseball, which right. I, at the time I thought baseball was the most boring sport ever. Um, couldn't imagine why anyone would want to go watch a baseball game or a practice. All my girlfriends were going to watch his games and watch his practices. I love the game now. Yeah. I, I mean, I love it. I love it way more than Josh does even. <laughs> um, I'll watch baseball even after his games are over. I'll watch other teams. and I, It's an incredible sport. I love it. But I didn't know that at the time. Never seen it. I never saw him play. I just knew that my girlfriends were getting baseball signed by him, and I thought that was so odd. I'm like, why are you getting an autograph from your classmate? Like, you're the same. Like, you know, I mean, I just, I had a hard time wrapping my mind around that. Um, But everybody knew who he was. He got drafted. um, But just that whole baseball part of his life was really foreign to me. Foreign to you at that point. I was very unfamiliar with it. But everybody, I mean, this is how weird this is. People knew that he was going to be a baseball star to the point that his high school friends would ask him to sign stuff in high school. He, he was that much above everybody else. His, his English professor in high school, his English teacher said, Josh, um, for your final exam, you can either write a paper or you can sign a dozen baseballs for me. <laughs> Am I making right. that up? He Katie did it. not get that same deal. She had the same teacher. She had the same teacher, and he did not show favoritism the uh-uh. other direction. And she didn't find out about that until a couple years ago. It's a good ago, thing because so. I would have talked to the English teacher about that deal. <laughs> he's retired now, so he's safe. We can tell that story. But that's hilarious. Everybody knew he was the natural. He was the Mickey man. He was the guy who was going to go out and make it happen. To the point that the high school that, that the draft happened. That was ninety nine draft. Ninety nine draft happens, and he is one one, which means first round. First pick over all the other people in college, all the other people in any, you know, in, in, in any place else, 
He is number one. That does not happen, hasn't happened very often. We're talking about Alex Rodriguez, Josh Hamilton, maybe a few other people that got drafted right out of high school. $4 million signing bonus. You're 18, you're the superstar, $4 million signing bonus. You head into minor league baseball, and everything's going right on track. I mean, he's killing it. He's doing great in minor league baseball, getting through the ropes, on his way to the bigs very, very quickly. Everybody knows that's going to happen. Car accident. Hurts his back. Yeah. Can't well, play. Well, you know, growing up, guys, start off here always is sports was everything to me, everything to my family. Um, I knew, I believed in God. I knew who Jesus was, but I didn't have a personal relationship where I never accepted Christ. Uh, when I did go to church growing up, I went with my aunt and uncle, um, only if I'd spend a night, spend a weekend with him. And that was very far and few between. So... After I got drafted, I went off to rookie ball and had a couple of experiences there um, um, where there was, we'll talk about it later, but there was a little spiritual warfare going on. But when I came back uh, from rookie ball, I knew um, what was missing in my life, and that was accepting Christ and, and having a relationship with Christ. And so I went back to my aunt and uncle's um, living room where I had always gone to church with them um, when I could, and I accepted Christ in their living room. But I didn't know at that point what it meant uh, to follow Christ and to have a relationship with Christ. And I didn't know how to grow spiritually. I didn't know how to get in the Word, pray, uh, fellowship with other believers, do devotions, or anything, or, or what it took to uh, further my relationship um, with Jesus. And um, over the next couple of years, it uh, was good. I mean, baseball was still the center of my universe. Uh, we got in a car accident, uh, like Pastor Tim said. And the two things that were consistent in my life at that time were my parents and baseball. And uh, for the first time ever, I was separated from those two things. Um, I, we got in a car accident. I got hurt. My parents went back to North Carolina. Um, I was going to the field half a day, you know, doing some rehab, had plenty of money. Um, and instead of having a relationship that had built up, um, you know, following Christ and getting closer to him and having that intimate relationship, I didn't have it there. I didn't have it in place. It wasn't a foundation for me. And my parents always told me, uh, people, places, and things. If I'm not doing something um, people are doing in a place uh, at first, well, if I hang out there long enough, I'm going to start doing those things. Mm -hmm. And it, that's exactly what happened. Um, I got one or two tattoos. Uh, so 28. 28. Um, and so I didn't, instead of, like I said, having that relationship with Christ, that rock in my life, uh, I didn't have anything there. And so I started searching, and I started going out, and I started hanging out. At tattoo parlors when you know I was away from baseball when I get home from the field and it was um, like an emotional outlet for me I was never high when I got tattoos uh, I just sat in a chair and you know let them work on me uh, enjoyed the pain um, and so it was demons on one leg devil faces on you know my creases in my arms um, you know no eyes mean no soul um, and then I got a cr big cross on my right calf with Christ's face right in the middle of it. And I wasn't doing all this uh, in any particular order. Yeah. Um, I was just doing it. You, you just know, liked I, what they looked yeah, like. Yeah, look at that. Oh, that's cool. That was cool. That was cool. And, you know, now I can look at it and, and see that spiritual warfare that was going, going on, on and that battle yeah. that was going on. So um, got invited out one night um, with the guys from the tattoo parlor. The, went to my first strip club. I uh, had a first, my first drink, had my first line of cocaine all in the same night. That's crazy, man. And over the next couple of weeks, it was experimenting with different drugs. And um, 
Then after that, the next three and a half years, out of baseball, suspended, off and on, rehabs, went to eight different rehabs, um, and just trying to figure it out. Yeah, it was, it, I mean, again, I, I bring it up, but the whole Robert Redford movie, The Natural, I mean, it was like everything was in place, everything should have been perfect, $4 million signing bonus, little car accident, little back problem, boom, everything falls apart, first line of Coke, first drink, you know, and a strip club all in the first night, and, and, and it just enveloped him, the spiritual warfare. Got clean, went to eight different clinics, got clean for a while, back and forth a, a lot along the way during one of the clean parts, but a low part where you were out of baseball and needed a job, you ended up working for Katie's dad, not necessarily because he needed a job because he had $4 million, but because there was this really beautiful daughter that you were interested hey, we in. We got to talk about the first time after high school she met me again. Yes. Josh had a mutual friend of ours call me. Uh, he said he wanted to come over and, and visit, which I thought was so random. Kind of junior high, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, if he wants to come over and see me, I guess I'll let him. Um, and My so friend he... likes you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. It worked. It worked out. It was a good move. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you off stage. <laughs> I'm sorry. So Josh comes to the door, and I mean, I was floored. I could not believe how cute I thought he was. Uh, there is no way this is the same guy I went to And had he with. been working out? He had been. Okay. He was big I have, good. Strong. I have matured a little since I was He had. Filled out um, a little bit. So I thought he was so cute. Um, and then he was so funny, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Oh, I like him, you know. And within three weeks, I mean, I really was in love. I thought we were going to get married. Um, when I very first saw his tattoos, my first thought was, oh, my goodness, he's so cute, but he has all those tattoos. And I said, well, it's not like I'm going to marry him. I'll just date him for a little while. Mm. But, you know, that old saying, every date is a potential mate. That's right. <laughs> my parents always told me growing up. My daughter's um, in yeah, okay. It's true. But that was also a time when uh, Josh was still experimenting with drugs, and that was still a part of his life. And I had already kind of passed that part of my life. I was a mom. I had an 18-month-old daughter and just really was into that. So we went our separate ways and stayed broken up for a year and a half. Um, and during that time, he was in and out of different rehabs um, and came back to North Carolina again and remembered that my dad um, had an addiction problem when he was younger. When I mean, I don't remember it, but I was about two, I guess, when mm-hmm. he got sober. Um, and Josh came and talked with him. My dad gave him a job. Josh was sober. I really felt like... You know, he had just gotten out of rehab, so for me, the timing was perfect. I mean, I had thought about him a lot over the year and a half that we were broken up, uh, and I had really thought the first time we dated that I was going to marry him. Mm-hmm. So I was very upset that we, you know, that it didn't work out. Um, but when he got out of rehab, I thought, okay, well, he's sober now, and he's working for my dad, and this, you know, this might work. So we. She couldn't leave me alone. Yeah. Yes. He didn't sweep out that many houses. He was mostly in the sales trailer with me, getting some water. She was selling new homes on 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 her dad's sites, and um, I could not stay out of the trailer. Um, You know, I was supposed to be sweeping houses, digging ditches, you know, cutting grass, and I just happened to swing in the trailer about every hour and a half. (laughs) Or more frequently than that. Um, (laughs) I didn't tell on him. I think it's significant that your dad had had an addiction problem. He, your dad was a was a key component of the whole story. Um, because he was good to you and he understood where you were coming from. And then again, you knew that your dad had been an addict and had not had a problem in tw- 20 years. So yes. you felt like it, it is able, it is possible to be recovering. Absolutely. Whatever. And then when we got engaged and got married, I really felt like 
if that had been an option prior to our getting married, yeah. when you say I do, that option is taken off the right. table and you're just going to live a, a life of sobriety. And I was banking on that. I really thought that was going to happen. So we got married in November. I got pregnant in December. And then in January, he had his first relapse. Um, being totally naive to addiction, I was shocked. I was My world had been completely turned upside down. I was devastated. I, re, I was really... I was very, very surprised, um, not in a good way. I, I prayed. I spent the next three days just praying and seeking God, you know, like, what am I supposed to do with this, yeah, this yeah. man? Uh, and I really felt like God laid on my heart that Josh was going to play baseball again. But it was not going to be about baseball. It was going to be about sharing um, his testimony and sharing what Christ had done in his life. So I was excited about that, you know, about that word I felt like I got from God, and I shared it with Josh. And he had just had a relapse. I'd never seen him play baseball, yeah. and this wife comes up and says, oh, and by the way, honey, I feel like you're going to get back into baseball, and you know, you're going to get to share an incredible story about God's transforming your life. He was like, right, <laughs> okay, yeah. thank you. Um, it was really, I mean, I don't know how, it wasn't that well received. It wasn't, it wasn't. You know, I, you know, like she said, she'd never seen me play sports, never seen me throw, run, you know, do a push-up no kind of physical activity ever um and she's telling me that um, god's going to allow me to get back to baseball but to share how he's going to bring me through this tough time in my life while i was still going through a tough time yeah i wasn't receiving it yeah so shortly after that um let's see that relapse happened i was good for three and a half four months and then my birthday came and i wanted to have a drink on my birthday and that didn't work out too well um because Whenever I have one, it turns into 20. Um, and then sh- shortly after that, um, I went from using cocaine to smoking crack. Um, and Katie got a restraining order against me to get me out of the house. And, you know, I was never abusive or violent. But, you know, when you're, you're in that mental state, that drug state, you don't ever know what will happen. And I owed people money and people were calling her to get money and... You know, it was just a bad situation for her and, and, and my kids to be in. Uh, so she got the restraining order. And I, I want to forget, I didn't have anywhere else to go. Um, I had to leave the house, and, and my grandmother always told me I could come there for any reason. And so I show up at her house at like 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, weighing 180 pounds. I weigh like 235 right now. So I was just basically skin and bones. And, you just, yeah. My the skin, amount of drugs that you had done would have killed yeah. most men 20 Anytime. times over. Yeah. Um, I mean, I weighed 195 coming out of high school. So I weighed yeah. 180 pounds when I showed yeah. up at the door. You can imagine what I looked like. Yeah. Um, she took me in. Over the next couple of weeks, um, I used a couple of times at my grandmother's house. And I grew up literally 100 yards from my grandmother. She came to every sporting event uh, ever in my life. Never missed one. Um, and I love this, this lady um, more than anything. And for me to do that, using her house while she was in the house... Um, not at that moment, um, but it let me know how bad I had gotten. Um, and she uh, came out of that back bedroom at night, and she confronted me, and she said, all the things that everybody who loved me uh, had told me, you're a better person than this, you can do great things, uh, um, you, you're killing us by making us worry. Um, all these things uh, that I had never heard uh, my loved ones tell me, um, she told me, and I was actually high when she was talking to me, and God just he cleared my head. He opened my heart, and I saw that pain and that hurt on her face and the tears coming down her face. And at that moment, I realized it wasn't just me. I was hurting. 
It was everybody I had created a relationship with. It was my parents, my wife, my kids, my father and mother-in-law, my grandmother, um, the organizations I had played for, everybody that had an interest in my life, I was hurting and affecting. And in that moment, I went in that back bedroom and (laughs) said before, when I got there at my grandmother's house, there was a... A Bible at the end of the bed, and I took it and I stuffed it up under all the clothes in the back of the closet. And if I could have, I'd have ripped the floor up and stuck it under the house. I didn't. I didn't want to have you anything, want anything to do with, to do with it. the Bible. Yeah. And but but a little piece of me knew I needed it, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't want it yet. Um, so I reach in there, I grab the Bible, I throw it on the bed, I shut the door, I come back, and the first verse I read, James four seven: Humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And in that moment, I hit my knees. I asked God, and I totally surrendered. I said, Lord, I said, I can't do it on my own. I said, my way's not working. Um, I need your help. Um, I want you to use my life um, how you want to use it. Um, and I surrendered everything. And then right after that, it was getting in the Word, um, started to pray. And you know, I'd always been shot away from praying because I was scared of how I was going to sound to other people or embarrassed about it. Um, but God just hit my heart. He said, you know what? He pray from your heart. Just talk to me. Um, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. Um, so that's what I started doing. I started fellowshipping with my aunt and uncle, going to church with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the priorities that I'd always had was baseball first. That was the only priority and every priority I had. It quickly went from that to God first, humility second, family third, sobriety fourth, and then baseball. Throw up the cover ESPN magazine. I just love this so much. Um, that's, that's what he's talking about. Um, priorities, God, sobriety. Uh, I can't read it. God's family. Humility. I can't, I, I'm old, man. God, humility. God, humility. Well, that projector's not as good. Sobriety and, and then baseball. It's down at the end of it. And, and Josh wants to make sure you understand that's not really a tattoo on his arm because he's already got his arm full of tattoos. They actually photoshopped that on there, but that is actually his arm. He wants to make sure you understand that. Okay. <laughs> Am I right? You're right. You're right. That, that is his arm. And right. I told him I was going to get that tattoo in honor of him, um, but you, I could only get like three letters on my arm. So, <laughs> make any sense? It didn't happen until you gave total surrender. Uh, I mean, you accepted Christ, and, and let me just say that. And there's a difference between accepting Christ and totally surrendering to Christ. He doesn't ask for you to accept Him. He asks for you to surrender to Him. And when you do that, then He gives you the power to work through it. Let's talk a little bit about what God did through in both of those times, okay? So, so He's getting better, but you're still not sure, and you're worried and you're a little bit angry. Right. Well, I had no idea that he'd gotten sober. Um, I had just had our daughter, Sierra, uh, and Josh had gone through an extremely large amount of money. You know, like we said, so I was shutting bank accounts down, and I had to get the restraining order. And, you know, it was an extremely, obviously, difficult time in my life. But it was also a really, really sweet time mm-hmm. in my life as far as my relationship with the Lord went. You know, I accepted Christ when I was four years old. Um, but I never understood what people were talking about when they said an intimate relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, actually having communication with him on a daily basis and allowing him to minister to me and be my strength and be every single thing that he promises he'll be to us in his word. I'd never taken him up on that offer. Yeah. Um, and so what Satan w- was trying to use to completely destroy our marriage and destroy Josh's life and devastate me mm-hmm. is the very thing that God used to bring me to him. And 
so, I mean, that, that was just incredible. Um, but as much as I had grown spiritually, I was very angry and very resentful and very bitter towards Josh um, for, because of all the things that he had put me through. Uh, and I knew that those feelings were hindering my, my walk with the Lord and hindering my spiritual growth. And I really didn't like what those feelings did to me as a, sure. as a woman, as a mom, as a person. So I wanted to know how to get rid of those feelings. You know, what was I going to do about it? So I called my pastor and his wife and I asked if I could come over and sat in their living room and I just laid it all out there. Told them every single thing, every single thing that Josh had ever done, ever, to me. <laughs> I may have even exaggerated a little. I don't think I needed to. But no, I didn't exaggerate. But I was very honest. It took a while, too. Um, and, I mean, I, it really, I was looking for... Um, affirmation from them to say, yes, Katie, we understand yeah. that you have every right to feel justified in those feelings and to keep and, harboring and that unforgiveness. And we ask the Lord to convict him, yes. right? Oh, we yes. Want, we want God to convict him. We want, I wanted God to convict Rebuke. him. Rebuke. Or I wanted to, I want, somebody needed to convict him. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, and, and Jimmy, I said, Jimmy, what are we going to do? You know, we have to get him. He has to realize how wrong he's been. <laughs> we have to get him. We got to get him. <laughs> and Jimmy looked at me and he said, oh yeah, I mean, I totally know what we're going to do. I've got a plan. I know exactly, exactly what needs to happen here. And I'm like, oh, yes, okay, what is it? He said, you need to forgive him. I said, what? What? Did you not hear my list? What kind of, of pastor are you? Of things that he had done, you know. And he said, Katie, hold on, time out. He said, um, what you're doing is sitting at home and replaying over in your mind all the things that Josh has done. And your bitterness isn't affecting Josh. It's affecting you. I'm like, yes, that's true. It is. Um, so I started getting on board with this whole thing, and he just continued to explain to me that, you know, when we realize the grace that God has extended to us um, when we don't deserve it, you know, how much more should we extend to other people the grace when they don't deserve it? And it totally hit home with me. I knew that if I wanted to be God's woman and I wanted to be obedient to the call that Christ had placed on my life, that I needed to forgive Josh completely. And so it went from not wanting to let him off the hook I cannot wait to extend this grace to my husband. I called him. He was at his grandmother's house. He reluctantly got on the phone. Um, and I ran I, to the phone, honey. No, no, excited. you didn't. <laughs> I think his grandmother was holding the phone to his ear. Um, I just said, you know, Josh, I forgive you. You don't have to be sorry. You don't have to change what you're doing. You don't have to apologize. But you're getting my forgiveness, and, and you already have it. It's a done deal. And it was so neat to see, you know, me being obedient to, to God and, you know, answering, saying, yes, I'm going to be obedient and forgive Josh. And God being so faithful to me to remove all of those feelings of anger and bitterness and resentment immediately from me. It was, it was awesome, too, because when she told me that, I, I was still was not emotionally, spiritually, you know, all there. Because um, it had only been a couple of weeks I'd been sober. And um, so I understood what she was saying, but it didn't sink in. Uh, so I was like, okay, whatever. Thanks. Bye. And probably you didn't um, think I was going to actually follow through with that forgiveness. Since she said that, and I won't ever forget it, on the phone. I'm laying on the back bed in that bedroom um, where I had two weeks earlier, you know, laid it all out there for the Lord, um, committed my life to Him, surrendered to Him. And she says she forgave me, and she's not brought it up one time yeah. since then. 
And that's, that's, that's special. I mean, that's, that's, that's supernatural. I mean, I want to keep coming back to that. Everything that, if you don't know, if you didn't know Josh's story, I mean, it's an unbelievable miracle that God could bring him from all the way, you know, the lowest part of drug addiction and, and should have been arrested and all those kinds of things to being the MVP of the American League. The same story was going on in her life. And I want you to hear that because for, for every one person that may be out there struggling with addiction, there's probably five of you out there who are struggling with somebody that you know that is struggling with an addiction. Or there's somebody in your life that's messing with you in one way or another. And the power that, that gave him the ability to get clean and, and get back his life on track gave her the ability to forgive. I, I want to make sure you hear that. I, I want for you guys to talk a little bit more about the supernatural stuff. I mean, your, your story of the, of the dreams and, and what you feel like God has done and what's going on in the rest of the world. Because most of us live in this place where, you know, it's just about the, the here and the now and the things that are going on. And we forget that there are powers out there besides what, we've got, what we're dealing with. There you go. Okay. Um, well, you just about first? spiritual warfare. I mean, the, the Bible is very clear about Satan's agenda. In our lives, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that is his goal. His goal is to wreak havoc in your home, in your marriage, in your life. He does not want anything good for you. He's pretty good at it. Um, He is. And so, you know, God is very clear about his agenda. You know, Jesus came so that we can have life and have it abundantly. You know, it also says that his plan for us is good. It is not for disaster. It's to give us a hope and a future. Um, and, And he really can do abundantly, exceedingly more in our lives than we could ever think or imagine. Um, and so when you when you look at the two, you know, yeah, I'm going to take this one. Okay, well, this devil that we have is is our adversary. He seeks around the world looking for whom he can devour. That's right. why it tells us to be sober and be vigilant, always be on our guard. Um, you know, and, and when you accept Christ and you become a believer, you're not home free in the sense that you're never going to be tempted again. I mean, yes, your security in heaven is... You know, it's there, um, but the devil is still going to try and seek and destroy and completely make your life miserable. Um, that is why we have to lean on Christ with everything and really seek him all the days of our lives because um, Satan does not want anything good for you. Yeah. Good. So I knew that um, when, when you know, we were just, just now talking about what Satan meant to destroy our home. Uh, God used it for his glory. He's still using it for his glory. So no matter right no matter what it is in your life that you've been through or that you're going through that Satan is trying to use to destroy you or destroy your marriage or your children or anything, God can use it. He wants to use it. He performs miracles, and it's up to us to surrender and to be completely obedient to Christ even when it doesn't make sense. Because when you do that, you really position yourself to witness a miracle. Um, and... I've witnessed a miracle in my own life and in the life of my husband and in our marriage. And, you know, it's, he does. He works miracles. And he never gets tired or weary. I like hearing her talk. She's good. Do you? You yeah. get to hear me talk all the time. Sometimes <laughs> you wish I would just do this a little more. <laughs> um, you know, we talked about this yesterday. You know, I always say when you come a, become a child of God, Satan comes at you a lot harder. Um, but he's, because he's got a lot more to lose. You know, when you're, when you're not a child of God, he's already got you, so he, he don't have to worry with you because right. you're already doing, you know, stuff you're not supposed to do. Um, tell, so, them, tell them about the dream. Uh, you got to really? tell them about the dream. Every service. I brought you here. You got to do what I say. Okay. <laughs> All right, prepare yourself to be amazed. 
going to be good. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm clean and sober for about a month, month and a half. I'm 25 years old, um, staying with my grandmother. My grandmother's 78 years old. And I'm staying in the back bedroom, and there's a little den area with a TV, and then there's her room. And so one night, um, I have a dream. Uh, there's a man in a nice suit, good-looking guy. Not me. Um, I'm just kidding with you guys. <laughs> Uh, good looking guy in a dark suit and I have a baseball bat and he's coming at me and I'm you know, beating him down, knocking him down and he keeps getting up and I'm hitting him and knocking him down and, and by the end of the dream I'm so worn out and so exhausted but this man in the suit just keeps coming at me and keeps coming at me and that's that ex- exactly what Satan does and that is Satan in my dream coming at me and coming at me and I'm knocking him down and I'm just at a point where I'm worn out and can't do it anymore but I'm by myself I'm by myself and he keeps coming hard at me so I wake up and just horrified you know sweating um, get up out of the bed make this little walk knock on the door my grandmother's room I said granny she said yeah baby I said I had a bad dream (laughs) It gets better. <laughs> it depends on how you look at it. Uh, I love you, man. <laughs> I said, can I get in bed with you? Yeah. 25 years old, 78 years old. And so anyway, I got into bed with my 78-year-old grandmother at night and slept the rest of the night. And about three months later, um, I had been reinstated to baseball. And Katie and I and um, Julia and Sierra were in Florida, and we were in a hotel room. And Katie was in here with uh, Sierra in this one room. Julia was in the other room, and I'd fell, fallen asleep on the, on the couch watching TV. And I had that same exact dream again. And except this time, uh, I was chasing the devil. And he was running, and I had somebody standing beside me. And I never... I know it was Jesus Christ, and I never saw his face, but I I woke up with such peace and such calmness. Um, It it was awesome to see where I was alone, um, you know, Christ showing me what what would happen if I'm alone Mm. trying to fight Satan and what could happen if I'm with him trying Mm. to fight Satan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is real. He is real. It is real. He is real. The spiritual warfare is yeah, real. It, it is. Um, I know it. You know it. But uh, be encouraged because, I mean, with, with Christ, we have victory. That's the bottom line. He, yeah. You know, Satan has power, but Christ is all-powerful. And when we cling to him, we win. So, you yeah. know. Look, when it's not about us, it's, it's okay. Yeah. It's easy. It, when it's not about us. Um, so the rest of the story is, uh, you know, got reinstated to baseball, actually got picked up by the Chicago Cubs for like 30 minutes, for like 30 minutes. <clears throat> and they weren't smart enough to keep him and uh, traded him off. I asked him last interview what was worse, being addicted to crack or being a Chicago Cub. And um, <laughs> had to do it. I couldn't. I couldn't decide. He, he didn't want to. He didn't want to say. 
Um, but you know, the rest of the story is 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 a made-for-Disney movie. I mean, it you know it's reinstated, has an unbelievable year, gets the All-Star Game, 28 home runs in one run, one round of the Home Run Derby, just this phenomenal thing coming back. I love I, I love the story of the first time you came back and you were in Yankee Stadium. They were shouting, "Josh smokes crack, yeah. Josh smokes crack," and you got to the All-Star Game and you were there. And and after he hit out, you know, 20 home runs, they were like Hamilton. Hamilton. I mean, that was that was the amazing you change. Yeah. You Let me. This is a list last service, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're uh, good. We, we're gonna tell some yep. stories. Yeah. So we're at the All Star Game, Yankee Stadium, and you know, I, I always sign autographs and stuff and throw balls in, you know, batting practice. And the game started, and I'm in center field, I think, uh, and like. Three guys in the right center field section started screaming at me, you know, Josh smokes crack. Well, the fans, this was, this was after the home run derby. The fans around them all started booing them, and the police escorted them out of the stadium. And so to see the city and the people yeah. uh, transform, turn their way of thinking like that was awesome. Um, I know you want to say something, but I'm, I'm going to tell another story. No, I, I, tell the story about the guy that, that, that you, you just okay. admitted to. I mean, the guy was, that was taunting you, saying, Jack, Josh smokes crack. That was St. Louis. That was St. Louis. Uh, that's a good story. Tell that one. Can I tell the other one first? Tell all you want. Okay. We'll make more. <laughs> um, so at, at the All-Star Game, uh, Home Run Derby, let me rephrase that. Uh, you know, there's a lady with a clipboard, kind of like the one that was backstage. With a clipboard and the headset, yeah. keeping everything in order, running around yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, Clay Council and I, we were on in two minutes, and she said, "Here you are, stay right here, don't go anywhere." And I said, "Clay, come on, we gotta go." And he, you know, flipped out. We can't go anywhere. And I said, "We gotta go pray about it." So we go underneath the tunnel, and we pray, and we come out. We have that great first round, and it wasn't. Um, I didn't pray to have a good round. Right. And I prayed that God would be glorified. Clay was your old coach that was pitching for seventy. You. Two years old. Yeah. Throwing. Sweet. Um, so we had the first round and have come out. I didn't have to hit the second round, but I hit a little bit anyway. And before the third round, and I saw this on uh, like this week in baseball later on, but they had us mic'd up. And I forgot they had us mic'd up. <laughs> I didn't say anything bad. <laughs> uh, and so I was kind of milling around behind the plate and just talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, I said, if you want me to win this thing. Uh, I'd be happy to, but if not, we've accomplished what we want to accomplish already. And after that last out was made, it hit my heart that, you know, God's not worried about the awards, accolades, or how well we do. He's worried about how I glorify Him mm-hmm. in everything I do. And at that night, talking, you know, talking about Christ in front of 55,000 Yankee Stadium and millions of people at home, that's what that night was about. It wasn't about me right. putting on a show or winning. Right. Um, and then, why was it so quiet? But say, you know, when you just said we've accomplished what we want to accomplish, it was not the 28 home runs. Right. It was the platform to be able to exactly. share Jesus with people. Did y'all get that? Yep. Okay. Well, I just wanted to clarify. I'm the wife, you know. We do um, that. <laughs> so, and this is really cool. It's, it's cool when the Holy Spirit talks to you. Yeah. Next year, uh, in 2009, I made the All-Star team again. And I, as a competitor, I didn't feel like I deserved to make it because I hadn't had a good year, had some injuries and stuff. And so I had a bad attitude, not outwardly, but inwardly, just, you know, man, I can't really, I got to go. These guys are hitting 350 with 30 home runs, and I'm hitting 240 with six home runs. 
Um, but I appreciated the fans voting me in. But two weeks before, I started praying. And I said, Lord, I said, why am I going to this thing? And he said, you're going to get asked one question. And that question is, out of everything that happened, Yankee Stadium, the Home Run Derby, the All-Star Game, what is your most memorable moment? And immediately I knew. So Nelson Cruz is hitting Home Run Derby, and Aaron Andrews comes walking over. And she says, Josh, can I talk to you? I said, sure. So she sits down. She asked me a couple of questions. Then she said, okay, finally, before I go, out of everything that happened last year, no Yankee Stadium, Home Run Derby, what's your most memorable moment? And I started laughing at her. And immediately I knew it was sharing Christ, Jesus Christ, and what he had done in my life and turned my life around and my relationship with him. Um, that's what was the best moment of the last year. And that was what I was supposed to do again at that stage, yeah. at that time. And it wasn't about baseball. It was about continuing to glorify Christ and glorify God. Which went back to the vision. Yes. That's... <laughs> went back to the vision that you'd had long before you'd ever seen him hit a baseball. Yes. Went all the way back to that. I mean, I went, uh, you know, after I felt God lay that on my heart, okay, I had no idea what was in store for me over the next, you know, six or eight months of our marriage, which was absolute chaos. So I'm sitting there, you know, six or eight months later, and my husband's on crack, and all I keep thinking is, okay, Lord, I really felt like you told me that he was going to get back to baseball and he was going to talk about you performing a miracle in his life. Like, this is very different. Not a what, you know, I'm like, did I just miss it? Did I just mm-hmm. totally mm-hmm. miss the message? And he kept saying, wait, wait, wait. And I remember I would pray for Josh at night. I would just be praying, praying, praying. And then I'd be like, okay, that's it. I'm not praying anymore. He doesn't deserve my prayer. I'm done praying. You know, I'm just, I was so ready to be done because I didn't see any change. I didn't see any desire to change. I was so frustrated and so exhausted. And God would just say, wait. And I would wake up the next morning and he would renew my strength and renew my desire to pray for my husband. Um, You know, and when you're praying for someone that much, you, you have a love for him. But God was so faithful just to continue to give me um, that renewed strength every day and desire to pray for Josh. So when, when God finally said, okay, now it's time. You that had been incredible. It, I, it I just, would think the all-star game was probably the moment, wasn't it? When you, when the home run derby was at the moment when you were tell like, what happened. tell me what happened. Well, I don't, I don't know tell what happened. Tell me what you were praying. Oh, oh, I'll tell you what I prayed. Okay. So I found out that he was going to be in the home run derby about three weeks before it actually happened. Oh, my goodness. Okay, you have to know, I, I got very nervous for my husband any time he did anything baseball. Sure. I remember the first time I saw him on a treadmill, I was like, what, what are you doing? Uh, are you okay? Do you feel okay? Are you running? Why are you running? Is there something wrong? And he's like, well, you know, I'm kind of an athlete. I'm like, okay. Um, you know, and, and so the whole baseball experience for me was just very foreign. I didn't know if he was going to know how to hit the ball or run or do anything. So just, you know, watching. Or if he he lost his talent, you know, but this is what he wanted to do. And, you know, I'm going to support it. And I felt God say, okay. I mean, I watched God open up all those doors. So, you know, uh, it is not my life. God is in control and I'm just trusting him along for the ride. So I find out he's going to be in the home run derby and I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, please (laughs) help him. Lord, and I, I promise you, this was my prayer. Please, if you could just let him hit one home run. Just please. I mean, 
I just, I knew, I just knew he was going to get up there and not hit any home runs. And I didn't, I didn't want him to be embarrassed. I was so, I was just so worried for him. Like, I, I but, can't imagine if you were prayed for like 10 or 15. I yeah. can't either. I just prayed and for months. He multiplied it so many times. When he hit the first one out, I mean, I had been praying all week for weeks. And I was like, I had oh, hands Jesus, laid on me that day too. My, my so much. And then I kept watching yeah, cool. and watching and watching. And God just kept saying, you know what? I can do exceedingly abundantly more than you can think, ask or imagine. <laughs> and I just, I mean, I was, in, I think I laughed the whole time. Every other baseball first, I cried, you know, I just out of joy. I was just deliriously happy and in awe of God. And like, you know, if you could just do one, Lord, if, you know, if, if <laughs> and he hit 28 in one round. That's a record in all of baseball. So, um, but it's not just that. I mean, he wants to do those kinds of things in our everyday lives. Yeah. You know, yes, I does. mean, it's not just baseball. It's, it's anything. I mean, he's got such an incredible plan for all of us. And if we just surrender and give him all of our broken pieces, he will create a masterpiece. And it's never too late. Like, you know, I think we talked about this, this service or last service or sometime. If you're still breathing, it's not too late. Yes. He can restore and redeem. And, you know, it's just incredible. Amen. Great. Give him give him another shout one more shout out. Talk, talk, you mean you want to talk about the relapse, you want to talk about hey, yeah. it's not all perfect after that and it's yeah. certainly never gonna be. Okay, that was a lot right there. But, yeah, well um, take what you want. Yeah, you know, it's, it's cool for me to to hear my wife speak and um, you because know, I have ladies come up to me after we we speak and they say we love your story but we want to hear more from your wife. We, we want to hear her side of the story. I mean, that's, I mean, I'm not being funny. And I really, um, you know, appreciate her getting up here and, and, you know, taking the time. And because she gets so nervous and she just, she does a great job, but she's terrified to do it. Um, and you wouldn't know it, but it's just God speaking through her. So great. I love her. Amen. Oh, All right. Um, you know, I talked about my priorities uh, always being baseball, um, and when I recommitted my life to Christ in my grandmother's back bedroom, um, we talked about the list and you know how priorities switched. In 2000, going into 2009, um, 2008, I had a great year in Texas. Um, I wanted to get bigger, faster, stronger, so I went out to Arizona to work out and you know do two-a-day workouts, and you know for three weeks. Only three weeks, I stopped praying, I stopped doing my devotions, I stopped getting the word, I stopped fellowshipping with my accountability partner, and I thought I could have one drink. And that one drink turned into about 20 drinks to where I didn't remember half what I did until I got back home, and it was kind of like the scene from my grandmother's house. Um, God cleared my head, and he opened my heart, and he said to me, he said, you know why you are where you are right here at this moment. And I, immediately when I heard that, I started bawling. And started crying. And I was so broken because I knew just for a little amount of time, I took him out of first place again. And I ended up right back where I was in that same, you know, lifestyle, you know, uh, moving in that direction. And called Katie, crying, called Texas Rangers, Major League Baseball, everybody. And um, it's just amazing. Uh, when, I t- when I try to take a little piece back... Of whatever it is. I mean, everybody's got their own struggles. Everybody's got their own demons, whether it be alcohol, drugs, 
um, sex, you know, pride, ego, whatever, all that, all that. Everybody's got different things. Right. And when I try to take a little piece of that back after I've already surrendered it to God, um, it comes back faster than ever. And it creeps back in, not slowly, but it rushes back in your life. Hmm. And Satan sees that, and he takes a hold of that very quickly, and he attacks you in that area um, because he knows the Savior doesn't have control over that anymore. So anybody who's struggling out there with anything, you have to surrender it all. You have to totally give it all to God. It's daily, sometimes hourly, surrendering, giving it up, giving it over. It is. It is. And it's... You know, it's amazing how faithful he is to be there and to support you and to strengthen you when you feel weak um, whenever you ask. And even when you don't ask sometimes, he's there. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, if you're a believer, you have the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead residing in you. Bam! You know, I mean, that's some serious power. And so often we don't take Christ up on his offer to just let him have rule and reign over our lives. You said it at a couple of services. We live kind of like it's all about the hereafter. It's all about, okay, I just want to get to heaven. But the power is available to us right now. Absolutely. The power to help forgive, the power to help love, the power to be over an addiction, whatever it is. The power is available now. Uh, at the same time, you got the accountability thing. I mean, if you got a problem, I love the the whole story from the you know from the World Series and the and the pennant championship and all that stuff where uh, you know you wouldn't participate where they were spraying champagne because you didn't want to be around it. And then the team came back around next time and and didn't even have any. I mean that that's that's still accountability. We're still human and we still have to do our part. Absolutely. It's a great story. Make but, it, making a difference. So, but God I mean, is the one that's going to do it for us. Yeah. What Thanks else can we talk about? I don't know. The bear. This is the last one, right? This is it. I'm sorry. <clears throat> anybody, anybody struggling out here got a question? <laughs> Have a question? You're yeah. gonna okay. Yeah. Come on. I mean, just anybody. Anybody. Where are you at? St. Louis. Oh, you didn't tell the St. Louis story. Where are you pointing to there? The St. Louis story. You got to tell the St. Louis story about the guy who was. He, this is in and the that, book. Yeah, but it's a good story. It's all right. Because you admitted it. I mean, the guy was razzing you, razzing you. Josh smokes crack, and you turned around and you said, tell Tell me me something something I don't know. know. (laughs) Yeah, or he was saying, like, like, I'm an addict. People are so original, you know. Um, And then what did he say? And then what did he say? Oh, my goodness. You're not my favorite player. Oh, I love you. I was like. (laughs) Okay. Um, But, you know, he was with his little friends, and, you know, he wanted to impress them, and. You know, when I didn't get upset and I just... You, you, you owned it. It was cool. And, and you owned it when you had your relapse, and, and we have to own it. I mean, that's, that's what I was getting at. You owned it. I, I'm a sinner. I own it up here every week. I'm a sinner. I'm not yeah. better than anybody else here. We've got to, we've got to get a hold of that. Mm-hmm. I, I do not have the power to live the godly life that God wants me to live on my own. I mean, you can't, I mean you can't really be effective either. I mean, if, you know, as far as sharing your story and telling uh, and having people really believe you if you're, if you're not brutally honest and... Mm about your situation um you know so it's that's why it's so important to be honest and you know even what i do um i can relate to people uh who are struggling um because i'm honest about it yeah and it makes me you know just like everybody else i think when you have a good understanding of who you are who i am who you are without christ just who we are in and of ourselves Ooh, it is so easy to be humble because we know what we are. But then yes. when, you know, when we take Christ up on his offer to be our everything, then we know whose we are. And, you know, I mean, that's incredible. Bam. For me. 
Bam. Sorry, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having uh, we us. Wanna, we want to let you know something, and, and I'm making this up for you, but you're going to agree with me because I'm telling you to. <laughs> um, we're going to be in prayer for them. Don't, don't you agree? I mean, aren't we going to do that? We need to be in prayer for them uh, because they're on the front line. Thank you. Thank you all so much. The devil, the devil wants to come after you harder now than he did four years ago. So, I mean, this is, we're going to be in prayer for you. And we just so appreciate, I so appreciate you guys coming and hanging out with us and, and leaving your family. Thank you from the bottom of Thanks, our heart. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you all so much. And uh, you have to sign my jersey. <laughs> I don't have a pen. You can take it back there. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. I love you, man. I really will be praying. Right. It's a safe trip. A safe trip. Love you very much. Thank you. <clears throat> I forgot to have him sign my jersey. You can sit down. Um, they're gonna. They're gonna. They gotta head right out and uh, get back to Dallas. Um, besides, it wouldn't be really proper for me to administer communion in a Rangers jersey anyway. So. Um, I had to get back to the spiritual part of me here. Um, we are going to do communion now. And, uh, and I want you to know something, even if you're not a part of our church, uh, if you believe in Jesus, we invite you to do this. Now, we do it every week here because Jesus said, whenever you get together, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to remember what I did for you. And, and I was reading in my own quiet time, my own, my own Bible reading this week. I was reading through Acts, and there's a point in, in the early church where Peter and John start to become rock stars. I was thinking about it in light of having Josh, because, you know, I mean, he's, a, you know, he's this big rock star baseball player, and we're having him in, and I was reading this. Peter and John had become really, really important because they were going around healing people, and, and, and people were literally, it says in the book of Acts, people would put their sick out on the, on the path that Peter and John were going to walk by in hopes that their shadow would fall on them and maybe they would be healed. I mean, you can't imagine what it was like to be these guys and, you know, have everybody like, oh, you guys are awesome, you do miracles. But, and I thought it was a lot like Josh Hamill. I mean, you're, the, you're this amazing baseball player. And here's what they said. They just healed this one guy. And Peter says, look, why do you stare at us as if it was by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? It was by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you now see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given him complete healing, as you can all see. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And it says the next verse, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Here's what Josh wants you to know. Not he's a great baseball player, not he's an all-star, not he's a really cool guy, everything's awesome. He wants you to know that he's been with Jesus. The reason that Josh has a story like he has is because of the supernatural power of Jesus Christ. The reason that Peter and John were, were able to help this man walk was because of the supernatural power of Jesus. The reason you might have felt something when you walked in this room today is because of the supernatural power of Jesus. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with this church. It has nothing to do with Josh Hamilton. It's the supernatural power of Jesus. And it is available to you, as Katie said, not, not just about forever, but right now. 
whether your issue is forgiving someone, whether it's loving someone, whether it's getting over a a sin addiction, whatever is going on in your life, that power is available to you now. And, friends, what Peter said is that salvation is found in no one else. So we're going to have communion right now, and it might be a great opportunity for you uh, to spend some time talking to God. Maybe you don't believe in him. That's cool. We're glad you're here. But maybe there's an outside chance that, that God is there, that he did create you, and that there is a purpose for your life, and he does love you. Maybe you and he could have a conversation right now. Maybe you and Jesus could have a conversation. Let me help you with it. If you've never been a believer, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, really very simple. You say, hey, Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm tired of having the dreams about Satan and him being more powerful than me. I need you in my life. I want, to go, I want to go to heaven, and I know I'm not good enough. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been a believer before, and you've just been gone for a long time. Communion is a perfect opportunity to say, hey, I'm, I'm coming back. I forgot how much I need the supernatural power of Jesus. I'm an ordinary, unschooled person, and I need for people to take note that I've been with you because that's the only way life works. Whatever's going on in your life during communion right now, The Spirit of God can come upon you. Supernatural things can happen to you. You can be healed.